Broadcasting live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Patrick Martins. You are listening to or downloading onto iTunes at a later date, the main course. It is currently Sunday. It might be a different day if you download it via iTunes. That's a good point. Uh, thanks, Jack. So this could be any day, 2012 or after. I'm in studio with Nick Wilbur today. He is the chef of Fat Radish, a very successful restaurant. Jack, didn't you wear the Fat Radish hat for a few months? I wore it out. It actually fell apart. That's how much I wore it. But their food will not. It'll stay with you for years. So, um, well, we have a very interesting show. We're going to talk with a chef about Fat Radish and about some very interesting, uh, you know, show topics. Uh, You know, Paula Dean, fast food predominates in in important neighborhoods. Um, Do you know what the poorest congressional district is in the u.s jack uh no i have no idea the mod haven section of the bronx really yeah interesting huh so um it's super bowl sunday it's a week in review week in review let's play the music you know i had to do that do you remember when uh every episode of cutting the curd had sports music as its theme well yeah i wanted to make it be like bigger than life you know that show that really worked out well it is one of our best shows so it's super bowl sunday today i hope most people listen before the game um who do you got i have the giants 31 28 31 28 all right i'm going giants 27 24 myself how about you nicholas oh i'm definitely rooting for the g-men nice um I'll take any one of those scores as long as the Lombardi Trophy is coming back. <laughs> Seriously. Well, there's a Roberta's party today for the Super Bowl. I think tables are like $400. That is not true. That is true. Really? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think you get uh, food and drink and everything. You know, if it's four people, each chipping in. I guess it makes sense. Wow. No wonder I'm going to Brooklyn Bowl. Yeah. Are you going to Brooklyn Bowl? Yeah, I have friends there, and uh, it's just really fun to watch there. If you can get one of those couches, then you see big screens everywhere. Definitely. The most fun place to watch a playoff football game, especially if the Niners are in it, is Kimball's, downtown Oakland, Everybody in there. I was the only white. I came with like six white people. We were the only six white people in this bar with like 400 people in it. Well and played. it was the most fun football watching experience of all time. I mean, it, it was really engaging. Everyone was like talking and screaming and running around. And it was really, really cool. It's right by Jack London Square hmm. in Oakland. Kimball's. Kimball's. Um, so, yeah, Flash Cash on Thursday did a little show on the financial end of the Super Bowl. And she had an interesting thing to say. I'm going to play a clip really quick. Cut to the videotape. 171 million fans are expected to watch the game this year. 171 million fans. No, but it's got to be one though. No, that's it. That's it. It's really an American phenomenon. It's I know, not, but there's 350 million yeah, people in this country. Yeah, and half the people in this country are, you know, don't aren't interested. They're kids. They're off. They're people from other countries. You know, there's all sorts of reasons. Right. A lot of people. Not everybody's into football, but 171 that represents about half of the country. Mm-hmm. That's still pretty big. Mm-hmm. The average person who's going to be involved with the game will spend approximately sixty dollars. 
either buying TV, buying food, buying a shirt, Beer, anything, yeah, yeah, all it. So the average person spends sixty dollars, and so that means that the the economy is going to grow by eleven billion dollars just from the Super Bowl. Super Bowl expenses. God bless football. Okay. Well, that's very interesting. You know, we had our second best day ever at the Heritage Meat Shop at the Essex Street Market yesterday. What was the big selling item? Um, We were hoping it would be St. Louis ribs or spare ribs. It was not. It was Boston butts and chicken wings. Uh, I didn't even know you sold chicken wings. Yeah. Well, the Super Bowl is like this American, you know, it's almost like a prideful moment for Americans that, like, 30 seconds of a Super Bowl ad, you know, costs $3.5 million. Seriously. Or that septic tanks can become overwhelmed in cities if everybody goes to the bathroom right at halftime. You know, you remember <laughs> hearing all these things, you know, if everyone turns the microwave on at the beginning of halftime, oh, there'll be a nuclear breakdown. You know, it's almost like a prideful <laughs> thing. In fact, I was talking to Anne about this. I think that, um, you know, if we really want to make a change in the Middle East, Nike, Puma, Adidas, all those sporting companies would put pool their money together and essentially open hundreds of soccer fields, basketball courts, handball courts, weightlifting stations. Even you could push it so far as movie rental, you know, cameras, and you rent it out and stuff. Put thousands of those types of you know, places, kind of YMCAs all throughout Iraq and Afghanistan. And I think that would have a real powerful effect. Anyway, it's just to say, you know, the Super Bowl is, uh, um, it's a great cult. Families get together and compete. I yeah. mean, you were telling me a story about your tailgating, right? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> football is like a huge part of America and definitely a part of my life as far as like, even from a chef aspect, like, I have a tailgate that I've been going to for since I've been in New York, so about six years. That um, where we're all chefs and we cook to the opposing team's cuisine, and um, mm-hmm. so if we're playing, say like this week, the Giants, we play in the Patriots. We would do like New England clam chowders and poor boys, and just kind of like dip in to things. And sometimes it's a real challenge, like if you're playing. I don't know, like Miami or Pittsburgh. It's like, or Phoenix or Phoenix. Well, <laughs> Phoenix is easy because it's like. A lot of Mexican influences. Those are actually really great games to come to. Um, It's interesting, yeah. And it's kind of like a one-upmanship because, you know, why are the New Yorkers coming down and making gumbo, but maybe yours is better? I mean, Bobby Flay, doesn't he have a show on the Food Channel where he goes and competes with people in their own? The Throwdown or something like that. Boy, speaking of which, um, (laughs) there was a pretty good Guy Fieri impression on SNL about Super Bowl food. Okay, I want to hear that. Yeah, let's play that. Here with some ideas on what to serve at your Super Bowl party is the Food Network's Guy Fieri. (laughs) (laughs) Seth Meyers cutting wires using pliers. I'm excited for these recipes. Are you ready? I was born crazy. (laughs) Full throttle. Now, one of my favorite parts of any Super Bowl party is the finger ball foot food. Oh, I think you mean football finger food. Nope. I got it backwards on purpose, much like my sunglasses. (laughs) Protect your neck. (laughs) Nice. All right. Yeah. Yeah. The key to 
Super Bowl food is having a theme. So what better way to get ready for the Giants versus the Pats than with a giant pat of butter? <laughs> it's what the French call an amuse-bouche. Just plop this monster down on the coffee table and hand out spoons. I'd eat this off a cleat. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. That's that is bad. very funny. Well, you know, if we could get one out of, uh, you know, if we could get more people buying sustainable food. Actually, I shouldn't say this on radio, but because I'm so confident, I've seen the stats that no one is listening. I'll tell the secret <laughs> idea I have of using sporting <laughs> events. You know, and it, it speaks to what I was saying before. Like, we're prideful when 80,000 people show up to something or, you know, three-fourths of the country watch something. So, um, Anne is from Chicago. And the Cubs have never won a World Series since like 1908. It's one of the longest franchise of all time. So um, they say that the reason they haven't won is the curse of the goat. Uh, that this Greek guy used to bring his goat to the games. And uh, one day they were like, you know, you can't do that anymore. You know, it's 1945. And he cursed them and was like, if you do not let me, let, you know, bring my goat yeah. in, you will never win another World Series. Wow. And it's a very famous quote. You know, I mean, everyone, you can ask any Chicago person or sports fan, they'll tell you that. So everybody needs an excuse. Of this is the plan. We, uh, my friend Toby is the vice president of Columbia Artists. He's going to book one of his artists to sing the national anthem. And when they bring their band set in, we're going to sneak in a goat. <laughs> and then we are going to, do, right at the end of the song, we come out, we take the goat out of the drum set. It walks around and we're like, the curse is broken. The curse is broken. And then uh, we'll get arrested. And then, of course, ESPN and, and, and local oh, news is media is going to go to the prison, you know, when we yeah, get yeah. out and be like, oh, my God, what is this about? And we're like, if it's true that we have broken the curse, then all the concession stands of Wrigley Field have to convert to buying sustainable cheeses from Wisconsin and Illinois. I mean, just think about that. I mean, just that's all cheese. you would it need. Doesn't... That one stadium could literally be you know a catalyst uh 50 dairy farms converting into cheese you know just to supply that so sports food somehow uh i wonder if there'll be any quote-unquote sustainable companies advertising i think it'll be a predominant eventually i believe i think our country is kind of like trending towards locavore and sustainable and i mean if you look outside right now it's like 60 degrees 50 degrees outside like you got to do something and why not like give it back to good things know, yeah good things and so um jack do you have a uh what else uh we can review first of all congratulations on the press kit yeah that's what i wanted to talk about that I, is really spending. unbelievable because uh you know we have four hundred thousand listens a month on yep. this uh network that so is true it's a very powerful number, and now you've kind of created a fundraising document. Yeah, finally, we have this beautiful kind of press sponsor kit that uh, Andrea, you have to help me with his last, it's Trabuco Campos, Campos, right? Andrea Trabuco Campos, and he really did an amazing job. I've never got a chance to work with a designer like that before, so it was a really awesome experience, and uh, he's a talented guy. And the goal, 100%, is to pay you know the hosts to grow the station by you know second group of equipment so that you yep. can pre-produce stuff like you did with Jessica Harris. Right. How have uh, people been clicking on that? Have we done a yeah, good job? Yeah, we've gotten really good feedback on the Jessica Harris thing. Um, what was your favorite thing about it? 
uh, you know the recording she brings she has a little tape recorder she goes and travels and she'll come back with say like sounds from a Jamaican market and then she tells me you know let's find a way to put it in there and uh, it's a lot of fun a really a lot of fun working with her very 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 good so yeah the press kit is beautiful uh, again shout out to Andrea for that and John McGill our web guy constantly making good improvements to the website it's performing faster than it ever has in it's history right now god he, that guy is amazing yeah. like if it was like Pat I need to live on your couch for six months I'd be like Done. here's your pillow man that's right yeah so the site's great Love the search guy. engine is uh, revamped you can try out the new search engine more changes on the way so things are going well over here very good very good Jack and you are, are now down to only working 15 hours a day, right? Yeah. <laughs> Anything else on the weekend review? Uh, Booker and Dax is open. Congra- oh, Dave's Congratulations, new place. Dave Arnold. Yeah. Give him some round of applause. Dave so, Arnold is essentially 20% of our listenership right there, that yeah. one show. So, yeah, Booker and Dax is a bar uh, at Momofuku Sambar in the back there where Milk Bar used to be. And, um, you know, he's doing all kinds of crazy scientific cocktails. And uh, I've heard great things about it. Still have to go check it out. Well, in case I die on my honeymoon, I just want to make it live here for the uh, listener out there, who I believe is my mother, um, that I have been, Dave put me on the board of trustees for the Museum of Food and Drink. Wow. Isn't that cool? That is cool. He told me my goal is to keep it to its mission. Interesting. Stick to the mission. You know, so I like that. That's a cool uh, role for me. I'm very, very excited. Cool. Um, well, let's uh, take a break. Yeah, and we're we'll going to be back. listening to the Static Jacks, which are a band from Brooklyn, and they were live on Snacky Tunes. So that's the music for today. Cool. by White Oak Pastures. The Harris family has lived and farmed White Oak Pastures for 145 years. They are committed to sustainable land stewardship and humane animal stockmanship. Their mission? We take care of the land and the herd, and they take care of us. For more information about their cattle and their farm, visit whiteoakpastures.com. You are loose and now I dream Love you from far away. Wow, that was, uh, you know, a little emotional. That, that had good energy. Yeah, in this very studio. Wow. Jack, you really owe me a lot. God, you've met so many interesting people. Um, so in studio, we have uh, Nick Wilbur, the chef of Fat Radish. Uh, welcome. Thanks for having me. Um, so what is Fat Radish, and how did it get started? Uh, the Fat Radish, uh, we are located on the Lower East Side, uh, Orchard and Canal. It is a, well, obviously it's a restaurant. Um, I can't be a chef of nothing but a restaurant. Uh, we, there's lots to say about the Fat Radish. Let's just get the details out. It, it is on 17 Orchard Street. Um, it is the restaurant 
brainchild of a group called Silkstone, which are owned by Ben Tal and Phil Windsor. Two Englishmen. Yes, a, a couple of uh, British gentlemen. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, they own a catering company. They had it for a couple of years and then they wanted this restaurant. Uh, now, this wasn't just any catering company because they're both uh, young, good looking guys. They were like catering like victoria's swimsuit ad things or, or hollywood things kind of right yeah absolutely i mean it started out obviously not quite as lavish as that i mean they started in like their apartment and one gig led to another to another and it kind of grew and they you know we got lucky i guess you could say with uh, some fashion houses and that kind of propelled what the restaurant is now is um like we didn't start with a pr company but we started with great hype from silkstone generated by silkstone Mm-hmm. And um, and now we kind of work off each other as far as like we have the Fat Radish, which is a great place to do tastings for Silkstone, and vice versa. You're at a Silkstone event, you know about the Fat Radish. Um, and as far as the style of cuisine and like what we do at the Fat Radish is, um, we we chose to go in a direction of just using seasonal local vegetables as the focal point of every dish that we do. Um, so in doing that, you're governed obviously seasonally and like what's available around you. Uh, so yeah, I mean, but you saw meats and things like that. Yeah, we do. We're not doing vegetables as a focal point. Doesn't mean we are a vegetarian restaurant mm-hmm. or and vegan or whatnot. I mean, obviously if you're going to start with a vegetable, your end dish is probably going to be a little more healthier than your average thing but we do have some actual gluttonous things on there like a scotch egg which is you know a beautiful like egg wrapped in sausage i mean you can't get much more like it looks like a rice ball right it looks like a, a big fiber. ball yeah and then you yeah. cut it in half and it looks like a the oozing uh cadbury egg kind of thing i've always thought and with all the scotch eggs i've ever had that it would be real cool to have like in the very very centermost i wouldn't even know how to get it in there but an anchovy you know, to kind of, because you get fried and then sweet, and you need that, I don't know, a little salt punch on the awesome. inside. No, just a single caper, like, living inside of the egg. That We'll have to talk to some of your uh, chicken farmers. Yeah, how do you get the uh, things on the... Uh, so, uh, how do you bring on uh, a menu item? Um, like, tell us a, a little bit, maybe give us a couple of um, actual things on the menu today, and, and how you came up with those dishes. Yeah, absolutely. Like like I said, we start with the vegetable. Um even like say we have a dish that's a pork chop it starts with the vegetable um and the focal point is a vegetable so we obviously use heritage food pork chops um and that dish started out with cabbages where in fall there's these beautiful cabbages at the green market so we pick a couple up and decide like how we want to do it like people like cabbage cabbage is a funky thing that unless you're i don't know irish that you know either love it or hate it like Mm -hmm. people don't know quite what to think about cabbages they look beautiful now out in front of your restaurants or whatnot but (laughs) um so yeah we take that and build on that kind of use good technique and be a little creative and next thing you know you just have a dish that's as simple as cabbage and pork but you know you take the cabbage you do it three different ways you add a prune gravy and Mm -hmm. then 
what goes well, great with cabbage is pork. So instead of choosing the pork chop first, we chose the cabbage first mm. and built off that and to kind of like use the pork. Yeah, I like that. It's an interesting uh, way. I've never really heard people describe their menu like that. Well, I've never gotten a text like this, but I got it. Talking about menu items. This is one of my more political friends. Um, if you were asked to open a restaurant in the Mott Haven section of the Bronx... Um, which is the poorest congressional district in the U.S., how would you go about devising a menu? I thought that was an interesting question. That's a great question. And I uh, just recently found out, which I'm sure most of us did, that the Mott section, what is it, the Haven section of the Bronx, is the poorest congressional community in the country. Yeah, in the whole U.S., right here. Which is crazy since we have New York, which is... And there's so much money here and business and... Yeah, so many, like, opportunities and everything for one spot to have, like, Mm -hmm. an overlooked spot like that. Um, And and to say the same for New York State Farms. I mean, it is pathetic that three hours from Manhattan, uh, farmers are getting paid commodity pricing for their milk. Absolutely. And there's 25,000 restaurants in New York City that... If nothing else, what they save on shipping should go to the farmer. Absolutely. A little bit over commodity. That's really outrageous. The disconnects. Absolutely, and like I mean, I try. I mean, at the restaurant, obviously, we use like um, we use Hudson Valley Fresh, which is a dairy of co-op of farmers out in Hudson Valley that kind of pull together. And like we, instead of buying through the to not name any names, like the mass like. Perv- purveyors in the city we go straight to them but um so this menu idea i like it if you have 10 years to pay it back but you were bankrolled you have bank you could do whatever you wanted and in 10 years it would have to start to show a profit what would that menu be well if i didn't have to worry about making money right away i mean then i would kind of (laughs) do a version of what we do now i mean and bring that sustainability and stuff back into that community i mean i do have friends and stuff that are part of organizations that bring small farmers markets and whatnot to communities in the Bronx or in Brooklyn and whatnot. Even in in Bushwick out here, they do the Maria Hernandez Park Farmers Market. <clears throat> but um, what I would do is like find the demographic that lives there, and then well, just that's mostly Hispanic. Hispanic. So there's tons of things you could play with there as far as like dishes that are simple, but are also part of their culture like um i don't know if it's dominican then there's like a papuzas which are like gorditas more or less and you know you kind of go on that trend and veer away from like things like that deep you can fried find. or yeah deep fried or things you can find at the mcdonald's which i'm sure will be prevalent in that neighborhood uh-huh. or places like that like go back into things that like they that their moms and stuff are preparing for them at home and then kind of bring that into the restaurant and like you know, and then get them back interested in cooking themselves or like sparking that little thing in their head that reminds them of good times that they used to have when they're at the house. No, definitely. I mean, good food culture brings with that, you know, eating better at restaurants, then cooking more at home and all that stuff. But I think, you know, a fast food place like what you're talking about is a real subversive way of getting people to care about these issues because if they're going to eat out at a McDonald's, then they might as well just go to this place instead. And that's where, you know, it starts to change. Like in and out I mean, that's a fast food place, but, you but know, good, their yeah. employees are dressed well. They have dental insurance. You know, they have all those things. I mean, that it's, it's somewhat inspiring. Well, it's, do you think this locavore phenomenon is like a red state, blue state thing? Um, I don't think it has like a... A certain Democratic or Republican 
feel to it. I mean, I don't know. If I had to choose one, it would probably be a blue state just because, like, the states that are, like, if you take a cheese and, like, if you think Vermont, like, beautiful cheese purveyors and, like, they're out there doing it and, like, more grounded as far as, like, being smaller, farmed and not, like, about the money, um, then you'd have to go blue state thing. But as far as a locavore thing is, I think it's... It can it's be everywhere, anybody. right? Yeah, it's everybody, it's everyone. Um, it's a... You know, it's even kind of a trend, like, in a good way as far as, like, it's something that's going to progress. It's something that's catching on. Um, and that's a great thing about, like, when certain trends come on. I mean, people have trends all the time with, like, you know, your clothing or we're going back to the 80s style clothes or whatever it is might be. But, like, organic was a trend once as well. And, you know, that caught on and, like, you can see it more and more all the time and like if people are starting to care more about like going to the local farmers market and sourcing their products closer um one you're just going to get like a naturally better product that doesn't have to travel mm-hmm. you know you're not buying it from mexico it's not traveling uh whatever the mileage is mm-hmm. it's coming from like 60 80 90 miles away mm-hmm. um you're obviously going to get a fresher product and you're definitely going to get taste. something that's Although a little Although locavore does not mean taste, certainly with meats, you know, on some levels, like what you say, fruits, I mean, a, uh, vegetables-based uh, uh, dishes, like with meat, and just in general, I mean, one thing I always warn the locavore movement to be aware of is that distance does not in and of itself describe quality. Like, if you that's were true. in Wyoming and drinking wine from Wyoming when California was only... 380 miles away you know or 600 miles away you should still get that but no it's an interesting um i think it's important to like support your community and where you are like i mean if you're putting money into farmers pockets that live 90 miles away from you then you know that's obviously just gonna like if you have a pharmacy business or something and that's what you're doing then there's more money into your community and in general that spreads out through whatever and that is a trend that could spread and like Obviously, America is not the what it used to be, and we're in this huge debt. And I think that is just one small thing that could like boost. It's something that will happen over time, but at the same time, it's important to think about and important to like know that, like you know, like you said earlier, milk, milk mm-hmm. comes. It doesn't matter where you are in the yeah. country. Milk is local. Like it doesn't travel well. It doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, for sure. And then just knowing about the process of that. And like putting it back into the 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 actual people that um, provide the milk and mm-hmm. do the work instead of the people that are just buying it from them and like for make- sure. Well, now let me ask you this: Do you think all these fast food restaurants in poor neighborhoods is a way to kind of keep poor people unhealthy? And I mean, do you ever think of these you know mischievous um, tactics uh, on a uh, on a very high level, I like th- liquor joints and stuff like that? I think that they see a way to turn a profit and, you know, that's what they go after. I think the humanity of that process is, you know, when you're a big business and you have a goal of making, like, you're there to make money. You're not there to look at it in a humanic way, you know. It's like you're not thinking about the people in the neighborhoods. You're just thinking about how much money they're going to spend at your yeah, restaurant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more capitalistic. Well, um, you know, there's this, uh, you know, almost encouraging. I mean, Jack, you must have seen this too. I mean, like the whole Paula Dean thing, you know, the media's part in kind of encouraging unhealthy, you know, uh, retrograde trends in food. 
you know, also like Oprah, like interviewing Paula Dean in her house and stuff like that. I mean, it's just like she's a great personality, that's for sure. Like she's funny, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, she it, should really become a change. She should instantly change her th- position and and you know give Smithfield back its money and say, you know, after I got diabetes, you know, it made me wish that you know. I, I, I had yeah endorsed a different lifestyle and absolutely. she would be a very powerful voice actually I think I mean those kind of programs and that channel like uh, Food Network is I mean it's very popular and you can you can see it out there like I mean people it helps move the trends like that are important to us and like local voyeurism and, and stuff like that like it helps provide that window but it doesn't quite do it in like the best light um, yeah, Paula Dean, like she's a great personality and she's encouraging people to cook at home, but maybe she's not encouraging them to cook in the right way. And like, she's probably never been to the fat radish. She's like vegetable. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, well, we are in studio with Nick Weber, uh, Wilbur, uh, the chef of the fat radish, a very, very cool restaurant as Jack can attest to by wearing the hat for so long. <laughs> So uh, we will take a short break and be back with the final segment of The Main Course. surprised i didn't get more props for that if if the cubs won the world series on the year that i was walking a goat through center field i mean you would be a legend it would take a year or two but the fans would demand it they would be like honor the the goat you know it'd probably be at every every game every game imagine if they were just dumping artisan couchies on a burger or on ribs or you know in yeah. Chicago they'll eat anything 
Uh, anything with cheese on it. Bro. Anything with cheese. Hey, on how it. do you feel about bringing a goat to Madison Square Garden and seeing how that goes? Um, you know, Jack, I think there's absolutely no connection between goats and Madison Square Garden. Uh, I think I would be okay. thrown out and never even appear on the news. I just want the Knicks to win. Yeah, I don't know if what we have the to come Knicks up with a need? curse for the, they need the Knicks. to Superman to go back behind the you know time and the whole Ewing era. That's your problem, dude. You're still suffering from still the... Still suffering. And they say that... Uh, what's his name? The guy that owns it? Dolan? Dolan, yeah. <clears throat> runs like, yeah. one of the worst franchises in America. That's what needs to happen. Hockey, I think- basketball, football, yeah. baseball. He has the worst, is Maybe what people have said. Just the Knicks, or does he own more than that? He owns the Cablevision, which owns oh. the Knicks and I the can't Rangers. even see Nick games. I mean, you know, oh, they're fighting with God. the cable. I mean, that I think is you need deep- to buy the Knicks, Patrick. I need to buy the Knicks. Yep. I would be a good arbitrator, yeah. and maybe I could like weasel my way into a percentage. <laughs> so, um, do you cook uh, Nick uh, unique, or you know, is your goal to do things unique that people cannot find other places, or are you just trying to do down home mother food and it just do a very well, a good job of it? Um. I think it's a little bit of both, for sure. Uh, obviously, like the things that you can get at the Fat Reddish are something that you could potentially do at your own house. Um, but with, you know, a lot of my training and whatnot is all like in French and like technique, and it's very important to me and the things that I pass on. But also, like you know, if you're gonna step into something as bold as just doing a dish on like you know cabbage or just cauliflower then you have to kind of have that a little bit of uniqueness to it and mm-hmm. you know get get something going you know like uh you can't just rely on like having a great product you have to kind of a little tweak it and to get it into people's mouths anyway and then after that like it speaks for itself but you know you gotta have something that reads a little bit to kind of mm-hmm. you know get people excited and that's yeah. where like the uniqueness comes from but but you still have to hammer the stuff down with salt, right? I mean, you put more, a little bit more extra salt or oils or something than than someone would eat at home because absolutely not. I no, mean, no, I don't. I don't think. I mean, I definitely don't like seasoning. Is seasoning like it needs to be done? Yeah. But you know, like it can be done in different ways, and like you know, more Italians do it ways. great, like with capers, like you said earlier about like having an anchovy in the middle of a scotch egg. Would be, you know, that would be that little bit of salt that you need to season the egg. That's, but it's just like ways like that and that comes with the technique part of it mm-hmm. it's like you know knowing things about that and knowing like you can use an anchovy here or a caper there or even olives and so um where uh, did you learn the, the the trade and who are your biggest influences in the culinary world um well i've been doing this for some time now i think i'm not a i didn't go to culinary school um and you know i've just been in the business for a while i I had a couple of great influences in home. I'm from Colorado. Um, decided Nine to move seven zero. That's right. Um, uh, all my friends in Colorado probably hate me that I plugged the Giants, but it's okay. Think times change. Yeah, um, Tebow is with you. You have to abandon the Broncos when Tim Tebow is your. That's not true. You, can you always, like him, don't you? I like that. I like his spirit. We'll say <laughs> he he's good media, Eddie. You know he's a winner and like he's a good guy. It's like, you can't not. Yeah. You can't hate him anyway. You don't have to. Sound like effect, him. Jack? Anything? Uh, oh, man. I'm on see, tag. Sorry. Even Jack likes. Won't even. There's uh, no want want. <laughs> anyway, so. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, influences. Um, 
yeah one of a few of my biggest are just people that i've worked with and people that i've worked for um a great man and a guy who i mentioned the tailgates earlier is the man who started the tailgates is uh bradford thompson um he's amazing uh there's one of the things that he teaches or that instilled in me is just to cook from your heart and Mm -hmm. i think that's where a lot of things come from is like I grew up in Colorado and I grew up around these farming communities and more people my grandmother would go and knew a dairy farmer when I'd have milk in a big glass mason jar that, you know, from her and like knew the farmers around in the area. And I think that's kind of what I do now. And it all comes from knowing that like you don't have to do this amazing five star cuisine, but mm-hmm. you can do things that you care about. And that's that's what's going to let you enjoy what you do you know you can be a chef and be at five star all the time and then it kind of it'll wear you down if you don't love it yeah now uh, you're bringing good food out to montauk right uh you have a uh, summer presence there are you doing that again and absolutely we did uh that was an interesting thing i heard a lot about <laughs> it we consulted at a restaurant um at rush Myers, uh for our friends at king and grove um and yeah we're excited to do it again um, what is that thing? What uh, describe uh, the presence out there? Uh, the presence out there. Well, first you have to know what Montauk is, and you know it's Mont- the tip of the, it's the U.S. Of, almost. Yeah, well, it's the furthest point east of New York. I mean, it is the tip of Long Island, and it is just past the Hamptons. And it is a place where you know people go and on the weekends cut loose. We'll say uh, it does become kind of wild out there sometimes, and you know. If you got a big spot and lots of people out there and lots of booze, like people get rowdy and it's fun. Um, but you know, Montauk on the weekend is different than Montauk during the week. And Montauk is a beautiful place to be. Beautiful beaches, beautiful like vibe with the fishing, old fishing community, new fishing community. Kind yeah, of. you have a very local culture there. Absolutely, you? there are definitely a very local culture. They have and, a name. I forget what it is. Uh, Talkies or something, Montes, Mon- Montakians or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, and we'll take what we do at the Fat Radish, where we focus on like vegetables and stuff, and we focus a little more. It's a fishing community, so we'll have a fish-driven menu and like still bring that simplicity of like things, home cooking, and like you know just simple flavors, but mm-hmm. really well done. Very very cool. Well, um, good luck to you. I can tell you're very. Uh, dedicated you're into this uh ben and phil are obviously lucky to have you you've been there from the very beginning absolutely i really recommend people go there especially uh if you're from out of town and, and you have uh if you just want good food but especially if you have like a, a young son or a young daughter you know who'd love to see a kind of cool place in manhattan uh yeah. you know where you, you know people are well dressed uh to the nines and and look cool well, and i i think it's the, the definitely rest, a fun restaurant yeah the restaurant's got a great vibe and there's yeah. nothing you can do about like yeah that's magic uh, vibe is is very yeah. hard roberta's has it uh Absolutely. you guys have it you know uh mineta tavern has it like it's hard to create that just uh yeah, yeah definitely like it's just something that happens and yeah you know you get the right people in there and the right staff that build on that kind of vibe and it's just the sky's the limit well thanks for being on nick jack you've done Absolutely. a great job thanks for having me patrick thanks, jack thanks patrick. are you even there yeah, uh, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> next, we have uh, Katie Kiefer, Straight No Chaser. Then yeah. the Mike and Judy show after that. Uh, then morning after, Jason Kochi is doing another episode. And finally, we're going to play Curtis. 
Burning down the house. With an interview with some German architect. Go Giants. Go Giants. Go Tibet. Wish you the best. Escape the nightmare that became your whole life Keep it silent while the whole house sleeps And you whisper softly to me You say Like you wanted me to But on a larger scale These things might not do But we'll ignore them Like the brats from your school Thanks for listening to this program On the Heritage Radio Network You can find all of our archived programs On heritageradionetwork.com As well as a schedule of upcoming live shows You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes Store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.